passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Rewind the dynamite from the most restless sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waitay. And we are live with Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock along with Wei Ting. Welcome back, Wei. We are right back into the normal schedule of a Wednesday night following. Um, I There is a rumor that this was a two-hour show. I cannot confirm or deny that. But that was AEW Dynamite uh, tonight, which may have set the all-time record for an Excalibur plug for Rampage and Dynamite next week. A record that feels like it's consistently getting broken every single week. Uh, how many matches can we fit into the span of these 30 seconds or however long he gets? And then after the Philadelphia Street Fight, <laughs> we've got the Owen Hart qualifier. FTR is going to face each other. Yeah, they're facing each other, but we got to move on because there's a ladder match. And hey, 10-man tag. <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. I literally thought I was watching my TV on two times the speed when this man was going through the lineups for Friday and Wednesday next week. Like you, you almost like if you had blinked, you would have missed that FTR are having a match together next week. If you weren't paying attention to the little corner in the bottom, yeah, you wouldn't have known that such a big match was happening. But hey, such as the uh, the, the type of uh, professional wrestling product that they're putting out right now, constantly putting out, I think, very exciting announcements um, up until the showtime or within the body of the show itself. They had a lot to announce tonight, and obviously the uh, the biggest news was uh, the Tony Khan announcement, which which really was uh, uh, a dual announcement from uh, New Japan uh, with Takami Obari, their president, in attendance, uh, no less, in Pittsburgh, uh, joining Tony Khan, and then you had Adam Cole come on the screen to make the announcement uh, that AEW and New Japan will be doing a joint pay-per-view together on Saturday, June the 26th at the United Center in the wrestling-starved city of Chicago, Illinois, uh, that will ha- be happening. So a Saturday night, uh, tickets going on sale May the 6th, and um, no matches announced, but obviously this is going to be all the all the major players, I would assume, from, from both sides uh, involved in this, and it's probably going to be uh, an extremely hot ticket. 
Yes. Yes, I would think so. Yeah, we were all wondering, you know, what the big announcement was. And I feel like this was at least speculated upon, if not maybe, you know, outright uh, sort of the front runner, perhaps for the for it being the announcement. And um, I, I would say, yeah, it, it, it lived up, I think, to the hype. You know, this is monumental in that it's the two companies officially working together by co-hosting a show. Certainly um, running a place like the United Center you know, um, they haven't done something like this since, uh, at least on this side of the world in New Japan, um, since MSG. Um, and, you know, with very much the same people that are attached to the show this time around. So uh, it's it's big. And, of course, anytime you do a joint show, you wonder what the matches are going to be. You wonder who's going to go over. And uh, I hope it's a bit more interesting than the NOAA shows. I was going to immediately say the, the NOAA-New Japan comparison. Like, I... I think you have to look at this like this is obviously something where this is not just going to be a one off like they obviously have a lot involved like you have Dynamite and Rampage airing on New Japan World now like these two companies are very much uh, in lockstep with each other so that gives you the ability knowing that this is not probably going to be the only show that we do combined that. Yeah, we can have an AEW guy go over here. We can have a New Japan person go over here because we might get a multi-match series. We can build up to something down the road. It it opens up the the negotiations uh, when it comes to finishes because you're not just looking at th- this is one day we're working together and then we have to go back and we're just protecting our people and you get a bunch of unsatisfying finishes or multi-man tags. I think that you... Um, you need to have several of those big uh, singles matches at, at the top. I would say you need at least like three or four of them. I, I think you need like big, you know, really like first time matches um, with your punks, with your Danielsons. And and we've already seen some big ones with j- just this past weekend with Osprey and Moxley. You're doing some more in Washington, D.C. But I think that this this show will feel bigger because of the venue it is in. And this will be the one that gets. Uh, real estate on AEW programming that they are going to promote towards, whereas the New Japan strong ones, um, you know, they they are not promoting those on AEW television. Certainly, yeah, you know, and we've seen quite a few number of people cross over at this point from New Japan Pro Wrestling over to AEW or vice versa. But there are still some very um, yeah, big holdouts in in the form of a uh, Kazuchika Okada or uh, Tetsuya Naito. And any of those pairings with any of the top guys in AEW are very attractive still and enough to headline, you know, a, a, a big show like that. What, what What's the timeline on Kenny Omega's return? I mean, this would be a show that you would be aiming for. Like, we don't know exactly, you know, because he, he still had to have the the hernia surgery and what was healing up everything. Like, the last mm-hmm. we got was that timeline when he did the Observer interview that he had not yet had that surgery and he estimated i think eight weeks from that point so um it's kind of getting an update on what surgeries he has had i would think this is a show that you're you're looking to to have him on in um in a pretty high profile match i mean this would be the one i i would say he is more valuable on a show like this than double or nothing to race him back i i would say double or nothing at this point um is probably a show that does not need him, even if it if that was uh, doable at this point, and it very well may not be. Well, let's be honest. Like even this New Japan AEW show doesn't necessarily need Kenny Omega. Like the the, the rosters are so stacked that you could delay a Kenny versus Okada it's, four to a later still, time. Like you're still trying to sell like thirteen, fourteen thousand tickets for this, like, and and they may do maybe. it. They will. You, you think this is going to be like an immediate sellout? Yeah, I, I, to me, Chicago is is the most interesting aspect because like how 
um how oversaturated is the market i mean i have to imagine that they they've done enough research and are confident enough in the market to know that people are going to travel to it and that chicago is insatiable in many ways for professional wrestling content that they they did sell this arena out for for a promo uh with punk without even like i mean it was like a wink and a nod that that he would be there no less i I would imagine this is going to be a pretty in-demand ticket. If they have an immediate sellout, I won't say I'm stunned, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's at least a question. Like it's it's still it's a very big arena, um, and and you may, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Let's to just see. put it this way: if they don't do well, just based off on the announcement alone, I have full confidence that like Tony Khan will work with whoever he needs to to put in a very attractive match up there, up at the very top to to drive those sales. Yes. So they also noted in the press release that uh, it will be available on pay-per-view through Fight TV, and then fans in Japan can watch it on iPay-per-view on New Japan World with live Japanese commentary. So this is kind of like, you know, the, the fourth pay-per-view in AEW schedule. Fifth. Fifth, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. Fifth. And they should be doing this, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the, the market will support more than four pay-per-views from AEW. And this is right in between, you know, you have months until all out, if you're talking Labor Day weekend, um, that to do a late June show, I think it makes a, a lot of sense. And to do a concept pay-per-view on top of it, that it's not so much uh, burning through programs that exist in AEW, like you can do interpromotional stuff that you're not... Um, you're, you're not taking away programs from from Dynamite for the, this new pay per view either. And this is right before the G1, or is It'll it be, in the midst of the G1? What do we? No, it's a couple weeks about? before the the G1 okay. starts mid July. So this will be this will be a few weeks after Dominion and right before the the G1. So like two to okay. three weeks after. And I would say it's it's a lock that we're going to see minimum one AEW representative in the G1. I Absolutely, that, yeah. And that could come out of uh, out of this somehow like I, I really i was talking to karen about it i like the idea of one big outsider from AEW rather than you know multiples like you mm-hmm. could you could do two or three but to just have like the one person um and, and a big one too like if it if it were to be a a, a danielson or, or someone of that stature that every match is going to be um like like a dream scenario because it's so novel yeah, yeah. You know, um, like Aaron said, I think they, they they should be putting a lot of that effort, some of those G1 spots to the New Japan Strong guys who have really... And this will be a great showcase for some of those guys, too, who might not necessarily be getting the exposure that they want to uh, strictly on New Japan World, for instance. But um, it's it, I, I think the G1's looking to be pretty interesting this year between the possibility of, you know, the AEW involvement, the Strong involvement... Maybe at this point, Ring of Honor involvement, if, if that's continued to be a thing, maybe some CMLL involved. I mean, what, what, what happens with all that, I guess, uh, on, on, the, on the Mexican side of things with all of these relationships? Yeah, and you've also got the best of the Super Juniors coming up. That starts May 15th. I mean, you might even mm-hmm. – like just what the, the lineup of that is going to be, regardless of like uh, an AEW involvement, just international talent for that best of the Super Juniors um, that, that people are going to be looking towards. So, yeah, th- this got a pretty strong response tonight. I think that the, the ticket demand will be high. I think this – like Chicago, like beyond being a great wrestling city – it's a great destination spot of like just to fly through. It's mm-hmm. it's a very easily commutable city that no matter where you are in the country uh, to get to. And of course, you know, for merchandising, like having pro wrestling tees, there is is probably always you know a consideration. Um, it, yeah, um, the timing wise, it's if you we might as well move to Chicago, you and I, John, if we want to you know do some live coverage of professional wrestling between this and all out and and whatever else. I, I am sure that there are plenty of people in um, 
in the Toronto area in Canada that will definitely be looking at, at going to this. Um, well, it's at, only like a 14 hour drive if you go around the, uh, <laughs> it depends. It depends on the route. The you lake. Take. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's the long way and there's the much longer way. And it's, uh, always great to check ahead of time before you get on the super long path to Chicago. Um, but there you go. So, um, I'm sure we will t- be talking about this, uh, tomorrow on the new show and beyond as they, uh, start to get into, uh, match announcements and such. It looks like they'll just put tickets on sale without any matches announced. I mean, they could announce. A match they have until May 6th. Do you think they'll announce anything more or do you think that the they'll just put tickets on sale with like the concept itself as the sales point? Well, listen, they announce like 15 matches per episode. I don't see why they couldn't throw one match out there to, to, for this one, but it really is more of a concept show that I think kind of sells itself. Um, but I, I, I do imagine because I think they, they like to at least announce some matches that you'll at least get one or two, uh, or maybe they'll just, you know, continue to roll them out as the weeks, um, um, go ahead. But it, it's, it's, you know, it's a big arena and you know, like AEW doesn't typically disappoint in big arena settings and say for New Japan Pro Wrestling, there's a lot of pressure on them. You know, this is like, I, I think a, a big show that they need to be successful. We all know, we all remember the reputation coming off of, you, you can maybe point to the Ring of Honor being much of the culprit for a uh, supercard of honor um or what was that g1 super g1 of honor what what did they call that g1 supercard g1 supercard uh for perhaps you know not not receiving the best reputation but um they're working with very different people this time around and i i think they have to put their best foot forward to rehab a lot of their image and this is also going to really just show the muscle of AEW domestically. Like you can take Moxley and Will Ospreay and granted they, they sold out the arena, but you're talking 2,200 tickets they sold for that. You put that exact same match in an AEW setting. Mm-hmm. It's selling a lot more tickets with AEW uh, promoting that and, and behind it. And this, the show I think will be. Uh, proof positive of that and of course the concept of new japan involved but i think you can look at the difference between AEW and new japan strong it's more advantageous for both companies that the biggest matches be done in a setting like this agreed so let's get into uh dynamite tonight um anything you want to go over before we uh we chat dynamite uh we do have way's big return today on the new show if you want to uh, check that out as he got reacclimated with with the world of uh wrestling news very much so. Yes. Again, I, I mean, I, I thanked a, a lot of people um, this afternoon, but I want to thank, of course, uh, everybody who stepped in uh, in this spot, uh, but especially to John Pollock for working beyond uh, my expectations and I think everybody's expectations to keep the whole thing afloat and doing a tremendous job, job of it. So thank you, John. Uh, but yeah, with tomorrow, we've got the return of the wellness policy. It'll be me. It'll be Jordan Goodman. Damian Abraham will be joining us to talk about cannabis and we'll be making the show available to everybody so if you simply go to postwrestlingcafe.com right now in fact you can find the zoom link tomorrow at 3 p.m join us make sure you have your questions or just simply if you want to say hi in the chat room three o'clock tomorrow on zoom postwrestling cafe look for the link and then in the evening postwrestling cafe patrons will get mcu later talking about moon night episode four i don't know if if you've been watching this john not a second this was one of the craziest Disney plus MCU Marvel types of episodes that I've ever seen. So there'll be plenty to talk talk about, talk about between me, WH and Mike Murray will be joining us. The three of you. All right. Well, look Mm -hmm. at that. It's the, uh, it's the BMV special. It it, it is the, you, you know, some would say three different personalities rolled into one. Uh, It's, it's, it's always that. And then some, I would say WH counts as a minimum, minimum two. 
Yeah. Yeah. So lo- looking forward to that on Thursday. And then uh, Friday, we will be back live right after SmackDown with, uh, oh, after Rampage, uh, because we're back to the normal time uh, this week, this coming Friday uh, with Rewind to SmackDown live for all patrons. Uh, so tune in 11.05 Eastern uh, with Wei Ting and I reviewing both of those shows, which will feature Adam Cole and Tomohiro Ishii on Rampage. Yeah, unbelievable. Just like that. So let's get into uh, tonight's show from Pittsburgh, uh, the Peterson Event Center. Russell Tick's noting over 5,700 tickets out as of uh, this evening. So um, just just below what the capacity was that they had set up. And my favorite opening match performer, CM Punk, comes out. I I would be happy if we get a Punk opener every single week on Dynamite from now in, into eternity. Yeah, you know, the... He, um it it's 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 for AEW rampage um or sorry for AEW dynamite and i guess rampage it is the highest profile spot and he is the high highest profile guy on the show yeah um so it's cm punk and dustin Rhodes and jim ross notes at the beginning this is this city is where his his late wife is from and notes it's a very emotional night being here punk is out in pink and black and all i can think about when i hear bret hart and pittsburgh is the promo about where he would stick the enema. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that was a, a nod here. That it's Brett, the pits. Brett really didn't mean it. It's the pits. So uh, Punk slips out of a head scissors and goes for a bow and arrow. It's a nice escape by Dustin. And then Punk draw, uh, ducks a cross body and Dustin crashes to the floor and injures his knee. And Punk goes to the floor, rolls him in, and Rhodes goes for an up kick, nailing Punk in the shoulder. I love this spot. He kicks him in the shoulder and Punk is like, son of a bitch, that hurt. And then he goes after the knee. He's like, I was going to be a nice sport here, but fuck you for kicking my shoulder. So now he's going to target the knee. And he just played like subtle heel throughout the rest of the match because this crowd was behind Dustin as like the the veteran trying to hang with, uh, I guess, the youthful 43-year-old CM Punk. Yeah, the young up-and-comer uh, CM Punk. I mean, it's not often in AEW that you have CM Punk wrestling a man, you know, 10 years his senior. Uh, but it was a very effective story that they told here. Yeah, I really liked it. And it was just based off, you know, just attacking Punk's shoulder. So uh, Punk's shoulder was, he sold it throughout the, the whole match as Dustin was injured by the, the knee. And there's these leg kicks from Punk. Uh, during the picture in picture, actually, we even got Punk doing the gold dust mannerism uh, as he was playing to the crowd. So just kind of solidifying how the audience should be responding to him. And Dustin hits the 10 punches in the corner, but his knee gives out and the camera's right on him. It's yells, shit. And Punk misses the step up knee. There's a code red by Dustin and there's a two count. Punk tries to get him up for the GTS, but he can't hold him. And Punk has to resort to a chop block to the knee before applying the figure four. They're trading slaps in the position and Dustin is able to reverse it over. Some great stuff here. Dustin stops a springboard clothesline, hits the crossroads, but that's not going to be enough in AEW. He has to follow up with a pile driver. Big reaction as Punk kicks out. And then Dustin points up to the sky. He's setting up with the jabs for the bionic elbow. But it's stopped with a roundhouse kick. Lifts him for the GTS. Dustin counters with a sunset flip attempt. But Punk hooks the leg and gets the deep cover. 17 minutes and 26 seconds. And afterwards, their uh, cooler heads prevailed. And they hugged and shook hands. I, I just thought this was a really, really great, fun opener uh between these two and the audience seemed really engaged like it was a very simple story that that was told um but man i thought this match was structured so well and i really liked watching punk here as like the the subtle heel in this in this match 
He's been, I think, showing a great deal of versatility in these opening matches en route to, you know, his world championship uh, title challenge as he's building up that record. And, you know, you got to see him play a bit more heel here in in a setting that this crowd completely bought into. Um, and so much of that is because Dustin Rhodes is such a tremendous babyface. His selling, I thought, was fantastic in this match um and you know they told a really simple story with you know methodical work over each other's body parts very good varied offense from cm punk uh, engaged is how exactly i would describe this crowd in that like mm-hmm. i don't know if they were exactly loud the way you might hear for you know like a punk match or sorry a bucks match or a or a darby allen match in the main event here but you have to remember this is the opening match and i can you can tell they were very engaged because you know out of nowhere they're quiet 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 and then they're chanting this is awesome and i felt it was not an unwarranted this is awesome it felt very much to me like a japanese crowd where they were focused on the body part work and following the story and the narrative throughout the whole thing and when it was time to react they reacted yeah afterwards um again they they shook hands they hugged and as punk is walking up the ramp out walks hangman page and the two just meet face to face at the top of the ramp and then Punk goes to the back, and that's all we need to see, and that is our direction, Hangman Page and CM Punk. So I, I just thought this first half hour was terrific. Uh, Love the match, and at the end of it, you you know, Page has now gotten Hangman uh, Adam Cole out of the way. Punk has gone through all of these challenges, and this is the collision course that we have set for uh, presumably double or nothing. Yeah, well, when you look at the the rankings, I mean, there there really is no other candidate that would make any sort of sense but CM Punk, and it's almost as if like AEW weren't really afraid to to um, no pun intended like show their cards here for double or nothing because it, 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 it's time it's time to you know put the put the visuals out there together. Uh, Brian Mann needs some footage for for that next uh, uh, video that, that he's setting up, and it, it's time to whet the appetite for Punk versus Page. Yeah, and. Listen, there there's a really intriguing argument about, you know, putting putting this title on Punk. I think this is going to be a really big ma- main event by the time they get there to double or nothing. I think Paige uh, going toe to toe with this guy on, on the microphone in the lead up to it. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot you can do and you've got plenty of time uh, to do so. This pay-per-view isn't till what, May 29th. So lots of time to build this one up. Wardlow arrives earlier in the day and Mark Sterling is there with AEW security and Every time he shows up, he is now to be escorted to the locker room in handcuffs, then taken to the ring. He will be unhandcuffed for his match. He can do the match, and then he will be escorted out of the building. So they 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 hook up the handcuffs, and Sterling notes, they can help change you if you need it. <laughs> and he says that MJF has a message. Eat, pig. And Wardlow responds, oink, oink, bitch. Uh, this... This new thing where he's now like Hannibal Lecter being like wheeled down to the ring and then, dude, they have just hit everything with Wardlow that I think it's like been really clever what they have come up with. And these crowds are so into him with just this whole presentation of him. I completely agree. Um, On paper, though, like I think it's really ambitious. Like imagine like pitching in a a meeting. Hey, like we're going to. Here's this guy who is basically our Goldberg. We're having him squash everybody, but we're going to have him have this ridiculous contractual stipulation that uh, has to force him to be in handcuffs so that he can come wrestle the match. And then like it, it, it it's, takes it's a, a metaphor. He is handcuffed in this contract. Uh, uh, sure. There you go. Uh, but it's like 
it wouldn't work with anybody, right? And and I think again, it, it tells you maybe the the confidence that they have in in somebody like a CM, uh, MJF and and also um, uh, Wardlow uh, being tremendously likable, being able to deliver these sort of performances that they need out of him in the ring, and uh, the the exits of, with him leaving in handcuffs are really just the absolute perfect thing when you, especially when you see these reactions. And his charisma is coming through in this role, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that should not be um, overlooked here because I agree. I don't think you could just put put anyone in this uh, type of role and it's going to generate this reaction. But this crowd like this is like you go to an AEW show and the Wardlow part like that's a significant part of the show to I- I engage the crowd. In Pittsburgh, too, um, on the road, too, they actually um, d- did a lot of explaining about how uh, Pittsburgh is sort of the territory that he grew up in as part of the um, I- IWC promotion. Yeah. That's yes. out there. Yeah. The next match, this was a, a late announcement uh, right before the show. Brian Danielson, John Moxley, and Wheeler Yuta taking on Dante Martin, Brock Anderson, and Pittsburgh's own Lee Moriarty. And we have William Regal on commentary. And the brawl begins before the bell even rings. Yuta is in with Dante Martin. Dante was just uh, fantastic in this, I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, just such a contrast to like Wheeler Yuta and Danielson. He's just flying all over the place. Uh, but Yuta goes for the bow and arrow and he hooks the nose of uh of Dante which is our callback when when Regal was you know noting Danielson doing the same thing to Trent Beretta and the value of that he gave the tip to Ricky Starks but obviously Yuta uh taking this lesson mm. and putting it into good use here uh just crazy speed here Dante is leaping all over the place Regal is reminiscing about when Brock Anderson was born uh when they mentioned double or nothing that he went on like a 3-day bender once with Arn Anderson in Vegas and he's still looking for his liver and they go through the break. Um, Brock is sent into the steps by Yuta, so he's selling the shoulder. And each of the Blackpool Combat Club take turns with Anderson. Finally, Lee Moriarty comes in, and he's just running wild with a PK to Yuta on the floor. Springboard crossbody, and of course, the crowd is into Moriarty. He applies the Border City stretch on Danielson and gets out of that with a shoulder capture suplex. Dante's back in. He leaps to the top rope just effortlessly and then dives onto Moxley on the floor, comes back, goes for a double springboard and nearly loses his balance, but regains it and finishes this. He flips over and is caught with a bulldog choke. This was goddamn remarkable. It's the save that is the most memorable part. You know, like, absolutely. Um, you, you think he's finally going to bail on one of these, uh, like, physics-defying def- spots, but saved it last second. Lee, he's in the bulldog choke. Moriarty kicks at Moxley. Danielson stops Moriarty. And then all three members of the combat club are drilling each of their opponents with strikes. The audience is going wild. And it ends with the paradigm shift on Dante. And Moxley pins him. Uh, 808 and heartbreak for hometown Hero Lee Moriarty. Very nice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been several weeks now of, of this, uh, Blackpool Combat Club. We've seen Brian and we've seen Mox team together and develop this style that carried on what Mox was working on, in my opinion, just great getting in there, being aggressive and then getting out. They turned it into a tag team formula. Now they turned it into a trios formula with Wheeler Yuta falling in line and just starting aggressively, quick tags in and out, um, violence. You know, that's exactly really the, the only way to describe it. And it's tremendously entertaining. It continues to be, I'm sure it will be when you add five people into the mix. You know, um, it, it's just, it's, it, it, it's wonderful how the show manages to mix so many 
uh, styles. And I don't know if I necessarily would have said that at the beginning of Dynamite, but, you know, three years in, like, everybody is able to do something a little bit different. And this British, uh, sorry, Blackpool Combat Club's style of these sort of matches, to me, are one of the most exciting things in professional wrestling right now. Uh, not only do they, you know, of course, elevate each other, not only is Wheeler Yuta elevated, but in my opinion, even the job squads that they have to face they have to keep up with this pace. And I thought Brock Anderson was a lot of fun to watch. Dante Martin trying to keep up with this pace and somehow stealing the show, even as he's getting beaten up, um, was, was great to watch as well. So, man, I, I love I love this this faction. Yeah, it really does feel like they are setting the table for trios titles. I mean, they, they've they've mm-hmm. said as much. And I, I really think that you look at so many like this tag division is so ridiculously deep that. I think just having that that trios division at this point because there's so many tag teams that they have that third person that's the that's the option whether it's a Wheeler Yuta or Eddie Kingston with Santana and Ortiz there's m- many different options. See, it's great, but I think they should just go to New Japan and take the Never Trios titles. You already have a, a pretty a pretty shitty set of trios titles already, so why don't you at, at least give them those titles some life and some value, recoup re, re, recoup the or rehab them. And then maybe give it back to New Japan. All right. Well, who's going to get the King of Pro Wrestling title in the divorce? Ooh, Danielson or Mox as King of Pro Wrestling champion would be really interesting. Adam Cole is with Red Dragon and the Young Bucks as Brian Cutler films, Brian, Brandon Cutler films, and they're all dressed in black. And Kyle says that they don't see eye to eye. They have to turn it around after all of these losses. And they identify themselves as undisputed elite and Kyle's going to qualify for the Owen Cup tonight. Cole then says that as a team, they cannot be stopped. All of the Young Bucks friends are gone, but we are still here. And proposes that next week, we hold an open challenge for a 10-man tag to prove how dangerous we are. But we need you, as they refer to Matt and Nick. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole Bucks face turn, I think, has, has been a pretty slow build. I think we we, we can all sense that it, it's coming eventually, but they're really taking their time with it, and we got a little bit of a scene setter reset type of thing here, with Cole basically saying, um, telling us for, for officially what the name of the faction is, it's the Undisputed Elite, and hinting that he is the leader. He's saying that it's clear that he created the name of the group, and he did the Bucks a favor by including the Elite in the title as well. So rather than what it seemed like at the beginning of this, where it was the Bucks welcoming Cole into the Elite, it is now Cole welcoming the Bucks essentially into a re- reincarnation of the Undisputed Era, which I think um, you know sets sets the scene for a, for a Bucks turn. The fact that Cody is is no longer in the company, Kenny's out, Paige is on the other side. Uh, I, I I mean I think it. It, it, it's it's perfect, you know, uh, perfectly ripe for for the Bucks to uh, go babyface at some point. Well, maybe the Bucks could have said, you know, uh, we're EVPs, so part of our skill set is mediation. So maybe we should uh, go mediate and take from uh, Cody's promo. You might have not seen that promo on Monday, but it was. Uh, I have some catching up to do. No, you don't. I spent my time on the wedding and the uh, lie detector test. So Cody, <laughs> that's all, Cody that's, that is absolutely all, all you need. <laughs> Uh, then we had promos from Samoa Joe and uh, Jay Lethal with Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh. Dutt saying he is the best wrestler from India from the past 22 years. And Satnam Singh is going to carry that legacy. Joe says that there are things in this world that are inevitable. And him getting his hands on on Satnam Singh is one of those things. And Satnam Singh, subtitled, says, Joe, get ready. Your time is coming. 
seems to be the, the most controversial figure of, of the past week, you know, at least just from my sort of distance, the viewing of, of, of the wrestling Twitter. Um, they, it seems like they have some rehabbing to do just for this guy. And also angle. like, you know, for such a major angle, this was the show closing angle last week. And mm-hmm. you fast forward to today. And this was just an afterthought on the show. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, Tony Khan has said as much that, you know, it, he would have done it differently. It was, you know, he acknowledged it was not a great introduction. And I think the lights out, it was a bad idea. And maybe even closing the show was a little bit too, um, ambitious for us for something, you know, uh, the level of a, of a Sutton Singh. And this, this week felt more like let's dial it back a little and then we can get back on track here. U- ultimately, it's going to be, you know, you have to do a match with Joe and Singh and that's going to be, we'll see how challenging a match it is going to be. We know the inexperience level we're dealing with and, and how he looks in the ring. Like we have not really seen him in any kind of match mm-hmm. yet. No, but you have seen some physicality from him. And it, I mean, it it did not look all that impressive. Um, but ho- hopefully they, you know, keep that same tact that, with, with him as, as they have with some of their other inexperienced uh, giants. It's they, they're they're kind of unfortunately having to, you know, dig themselves out of a hole now because of the bad reputation and the stain that is on this angle coming off of last week. So um, we'll see if they, you know, we'll see how they how they rehab it. Um, and you know, at least it's it's in good hands with like Joe and Jay Lethal around. Uh, then we did the the announcement of the pay-per-view on June 26th uh, with Adam Cole also adding that he'll face Tomohiro Ishii on Friday's Rampage in an Owen Hart qualifying match. And he also has a special friend here that wanted to say hello. And Jay White walks onto the stage. Uh, Tony Khan's reactions here were just uh, priceless. And he says that the last time New Japan partnered with someone, he single-handedly sold out Madison Square Garden. And this is not about New Japan, but the undisputed elite and the Bullet Club, because it is still our era. Yeah, yeah. Um, the undisputed elite era. The undisputed elite club. <laughs> they'll they'll come up with some great acronym for this super group that they they seem to be uh, hinting at w- between the two. But yeah, I mean, what Jay Jay's been kind of doing these lines uh, off on his own on in New Japan for for some time, and um, kind of perfectly sets up a a match with uh, Kenny, doesn't it? I, I think that that is like the match to come back with. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think I think with Omega, like you have Jay White and Adam Cole as your two opponents coming back like right off the bat that you can go from one to the other. And maybe Cole is one you build up to uh, a bit longer. If you have this kind of divided uh, elite undisputed elite. Yeah. I didn't exactly love the way like they cut away to the Adam Cole video. I thought that was super awkward. Um, and and kind of hokey, <laughs> like seeing seeing Tony Khan try to act shocked was <laughs> was laughable. Why and didn't Obari get any? And he didn't get to say anything here. You're right. He should have been the one to. Could you imagine Harold screen. May in this role? It, it wouldn't I happen think, if I don't think this that we wouldn't be talking about this if Harold May was true. In the, was be in there. But nonetheless, yeah. I mean, what a oh my goodness! Then they then they would have to do the pay per view next month in honor of the man's name, right? <laughs> yeah, that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> man like just thinking about some of the the, the matches that, that are coming up like we, we talked about some of the stars that have been involved i mean to me it would be a great time to possibly have a kushida make an appearance uh for, for a show like this you know he wouldn't even have to fly over um or, or like his contract is up anytime right so he can he can really appear my anytime. understanding is like the contract's up so there's no no compete that would withhold him from hmm. being able to to do whatever he wants 
Yeah, very exciting. Jade Cargill is with Kiera Hogan and Red Velvet, and they will be in the baddie section this Friday for the match with Marina Shafir, and she'll see Marina on Friday. Bitch. It's our second bitch of the show. You know, they're, they're really, I think, being a bit more conservative with their bitch count. We got bitch twice. We got shit from Dustin tonight. <laughs> what else do we have? This is, this is kind of tame on the, uh, the swearing side for AEW. So. Hmm. Yeah. Did, uh, well, it's because they didn't let Obari get on the microphone. He might have just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know he loves the cuss. Uh, Chris Charles didn't know what would have to translate uh, <laughs> all of that. Yeah. MJF and Sean Spears appear in the stands. Uh, they've got popcorn. They're throwing it at fans. And MJF just runs down Wardlow, runs down Pittsburgh, and says that he's a nobody. So therefore, Wardlow will not come out with any music. So instead, the the fans are chanting Wardlow as he walks out in handcuffs. Like, this is just a really cool scene that they have created. This guy in handcuffs. The crowd is chanting his name as he walks down to be uncuffed. And again, like, if if they weren't so confident in the crowd's connection to Wardlow and this MJF storyline, like, this could completely fail, you know, uh, and it would have been super awkward. So Wardlow and the Butcher have their match, and uh, Butcher is attacking with, with headbutts. He goes to grab a chair, uh, and then Wardlow is slammed into the apron and the barricade repeatedly and then dumped onto the edge. He hits a powerbomb to Wardlow and loses his balance upon hitting it, and Wardlow kicks out at one. The straps come down, and he proceeds to hit the Butcher with one powerbomb after another with four in total before hitting him in four minutes and 18 seconds. He is handcuffed and taken away. That exit, it, like it, it works so well, and it, to me, it's it's one of the best babyface exits that they have. Him doing his job, um, winning the crowd's favor, and then forcibly being escorted out in handcuffs to no music is just such a. It's a great way to make somebody so dominant look sympathetic. Um, it's it, it's a great kind of like variation on the Goldberg babyface squash where you just want to see the guy come out and, you know, um, you kind of feel bad for him, but you, you just love him that much more. It's very reminiscent of what they did with Kevin Nash. Remember when they outlawed the powerbomb and he would execute it and then they would arrest him after each one? Unfortunately, he was the heel at the time. And when they would do this, the crowd would go nuts. This guy who like dropped Big Show on his head and then he would get he would just uh you know, leave chanting Attica. And this crowd got, they just love this guy. Much more. Maybe that was the inspiration. Role. Yeah, I guess so. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, 
engineering your success. Eddie Kingston does a promo addressing Daniel Garcia. Uh, he's got he's got a Tupac hoodie on, and he says that this Friday, the Jericho Appreciation Society and Santana Ortiz are not allowed in the building, and everything he does to Garcia, he will do to Chris Jericho, and it's meant for him. When all is said and done, your friends and family in Buffalo will not recognize you. You reap what you sow, but I don't sow. I just reap. It's a good line. Mm, I've never heard someone yeah. use that line before. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Jungle Boy and Kyle O'Reilly in the Owen Hart Cup qualifying match. Uh, early on, Kyle is controlling the arm using uh, rolling butterfly suplexes. They go through the break. It's Kyle in control. And it's kind of a, a Kyle type of uh, match until uh, Jungle Boy uh, would catch him with a clothesline, but then he's hit with a dragon screw. Uh, he goes for a guillotine trying to submit Kyle, but Kyle gets to his feet with a head and arm choke and then knees him in the back. Kyle goes for the Kimura on the turnbuckle and Jungle Boy escapes and strikes Kyle while he's in the tree of woe, and he's repeatedly being warned by Aubrey Edwards about um, the incessant stomps and strikes in the corner as she's counting to five. Kyle gets out of there, escapes, and applies the ankle lock, and then Jungle Boy breaks free to apply the snare trap, and the audience is reacting. There's a rope break by Kyle, and then Kyle hits a superplex. Jungle Boy hooks the leg for a two count, and Kyle lifts up, brain buster, and then the bombs away knee drop pinning Jungle Boy in 13 minutes and two seconds to join Samoa Joe in the field. What did you think about this match? Uh, how, how long? What was the time again, John? Thir- 13. 13 minutes. Okay. I thought it was a really good, beautifully technical match. I, for some reason, maybe felt it was given a little much time for for my feeling. And maybe that it was because it was sort of more of a... Pittsburgh was more of a crowd that, like... I didn't get the sense that they were bored, but I also didn't necessarily sense that they were completely captivated throughout the entire thing either. I love the match, um, but because of the lack of stakes involved, because of the lack of build, really, I would say for the singles encounter, I and because it was only a qualifier, um, which to me are relatively low low stakes, I I don't know if it needed to go maybe the extra three minutes, maybe a solid 10 might've, might've felt a little bit better, but I think with more build with more clear, like single stakes attached to me, like this would be like a pay-per-view show stealer potentially with a more invested crowd. That's what I was expecting. If you had told me these two are going to have 13 minutes, I was like, this, this is going to just tear the house down in my opinion. And I just thought like the, the styles didn't mesh that well. It was, I, I was with you with the crowd. Like there was, um, sort of a dissonance with, the, with with the audience and you know technically there was some really good stuff especially uh, like you know when when Kyle was on offense it was certainly not a bad match but um it, it certainly was not at the level I was expecting this one to be and it was just it was missing something for for me so you know yeah. like again to me like I feel like under a, a different type of context you know again with more backstory maybe with a crowd that recognizes the appeal of this match Tony Khan described this as a dream match to him and I think if you give the proper shine to it like if they if they let's let's dial things back maybe a year for you know ago and and let's say that the two companies the, the real forbidden door NXT and AEW are putting a joint show together and you're going to put some match up on, on the undercard. To me, Jungle Boy versus uh, Kyle O'Reilly would perfectly fit on, on a card like that. And in front of a crowd with the, the, the idea that these are two two guys who have never met before um, and you would expect it would match up really well together. I, I think they would have torn the house down. But on an episode of Dynamite, it just kind of felt like another match. And maybe 13 minutes was this late into the show was, wasn't enough for this crowd. 
Yeah, I, I think also the story that you know that they they kind of danced around here of like Jungle Boy being able to kind of be 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 like on Kyle's level when it comes to like technical skill. Like I, I just really didn't think his his style really lent itself to that in, in this match when when he was in uh, th- those positions. So t- to me, it was just the styles didn't complement each other as, as much as I thought they would, but um, nonetheless, like it was a fine match, um, but it wasn't my match of the show. And going in, I thought this had a, a pretty good probability of being that. And jungle boy is on the floor and he just says, I'm sorry. And Christian is walking down to the ring and leaves with jungle boy. Uh, uh, so, so they, they show in the graphics who has qualified thus far for the Owen and it's Joe and Kyle O'Reilly, and it's just those two in the graphic. Now, the announcers were clear to mention that they, we don't know what the matches are yet, so it's not like these two yeah, are Yeah, if you were just looking, you would think they're facing off, but they, it, they did make it clear that but those are the only two that have qualified. But 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 they better be putting that match somewhere in into this tournament because you can't tease us with Joe versus Kyle O'Reilly in a graphic picture together in the corner like that and not deliver because that, to me, is a dream match. Uh, Marvez is with MJF and Sean Spears says the butcher didn't get the job done, but there's more money where that came from. MJF is a snake. And when he decides that you are his prey, it doesn't matter the size because it only takes one bite as he hands off an envelope to Jake, the snake Roberts and Jake, God bless him. Cuts a Jake Roberts promo. I don't know what he was describing here. I felt like he was on his way to, to, to making like a sensible, you know, interesting jake roberts promo but then here comes lance archer just like <laughs> completely crashing in and, and he just slaps the envelope he doesn't need money he just wants to fight yeah and yeah. that's it so obviously lance archer will be next in line for wardlow hook makes his dynamite debut against anthony henry with uh mark sterling and tony niece in the crowd the audience is is back up here for this match chanting for hook there's strikes in the corner uh hip throw overhead suplex sliding lariat to the back and then cross faces are delivered to henry when all of a sudden Danhausen appears trying once again unsuccessfully to curse hook and instead hook just stares at him red rum and submits henry in a minute 21 and Danhausen gets into the ring and says, if he won't be cursed by Danhausen, then you will fight Danhausen. And Hook just walks by, knocking him into the shoulder and leaves. When Danhausen got involved, this place went nuts. When mm-hmm. he challenged Hook, they got even more excited. And yeah, so instead of the the um, the unlikely pairing of these two as a team, uh, we will get the unlikely pairing of these two as opponents. And then maybe a team in the future. You know, we'll see. So, you know, we've been kind of waiting for this moment for quite some time, ever since Hook made his debut on Rampage. Um, I think everybody, or at least most of us, would agree that it was a great idea to use him as a hook uh, for Rampage to send viewers there and keep that as an exclusive attraction. So that by the time you do debut him either on a pay-per-view or, in this case, on Dynamite, he feels like a big deal, and it feels like a big deal. And, I mean, it was... Did it feel like such a big deal that we were coming out of this show talking about Hook? I don't necessarily think so. Maybe by this point we've seen enough of the guy to maybe not necessarily be so surprised by by what what was going on. So it wasn't necessarily the type of performance where we go, wow, did you see that Hook match? I also think like maybe not having Taz around on commentary maybe took a little bit of that luster away as well. Um, I don't see why they couldn't do that for the future. He is still the leader of their faction. He joins in on commentary all the time. So I'd love to see that re-edition. Um, 
but it really did, did feel like Danhausen was more of the talk of this segment, you know, coming in here. And uh, now we're going to get a match between two cult memes facing off each other. And we'll see if it's a, enough for a primetime audience. And we have to have one showdown verbally between Taz and Danhausen. Ooh, lovely. Shivani interviews Frankie Kazarian, who is 10 and 1 in his last 11 matches, and he wants to issue a challenge to the TNT champion. But Scorpio Sky walks in and apologizes for interrupting and goes through their backstory that he called Kazarian five years ago when he needed help and he was able to join SCU and says, can you just wait a little bit longer until I get my rematch with Guevara and you will get the first title shot? And Kazarian reluctantly agrees, but says he will always have Scorpio Skies back. So uh, a call back here to the SCU days and um, kind of putting Kazarian on, on the back burner here. I thought this was really interesting. You know, I thought it, this would simply be like Frankie doing the typical babyface thing and blowing off the the former friend who wants him to, you know, do something not very noble. But Frankie stuck with the loyalty despite his friend now being a heel. And I this find way it, more realistic that they have this existing relationship and the guy's asking for a favor and he's granting his close friend a favor. It's more realistic. It's more interesting. And it it bubbles up resentment within the baby face, so you just can't wait for at some point Frankie to explode on Scorpio Sky. Uh, it sets the course for deeper storytelling between the two, and I think Frankie Kazarian is somebody who's been unfortunately quite underutilized. You know, due to the the constant influx of, of bigger names that have been coming into the company. So I hope this means that we're getting a bigger role for him on this show. And I think uh, you know, using the SCU story, what now that Scorpio Sky is in in the forefront uh, of the show, is a great way to do that. They recap Thunder Rosa's win over Nyla Rose at Battle of the Belts. She said that. Thunder Rosa is no one's stepping stone. She has to face the most experienced and best competitors. One defense down, and now it's time to go double or nothing. Mm -hmm. Sammy Guevara is in the ring with Ty Conti, and Sammy Guevara is wearing the most hideous jacket. I mean, this was like the, uh, just just seals the turn. Mm -hmm. And he is showered with booze, both of them. He calls Ty the love of his life, and he loves her. And he loves all of you people that cheer us. But the rest of you turned your back on me. Why? Because my girlfriend is hotter than yours? Well, be mad, they both say in unison. Scorpio Sky comes out with Ethan Page and Dan Lambert. Page has stitches over his right eye uh, from last week. And Sky mentions that all of these people supported you by watching your stupid vlogs. And then after he cuts his promo, Ethan Page grabs the mic and screams to shut up, Sammy. And this place goes wild for Ethan Page. And he says, nobody came to this arena to see you speak into a microphone. And Lambert gets the last word stating, youth is wasted on the young. A line that my deceased grandfather once said. And that... Sammy is acting like a high school douchebag that can't keep his tongue out of his girlfriend's mouth. And he threatens to send the men of the year to give Sammy a pounding that his girlfriend dreams about. Kavara doesn't care, he says, about your dead grandpa and agrees to a title rematch. I love that his heat now is insulting uh, children and deceased elders and agrees to a title rematch with Scorpio Sky if they agree to a mixed tag match. They do, 
And next week, it will be Scorpio Sky challenging Guevara in yet another ladder match for the TNT title. All the announcements at the end came really rushed in, they in the play, They played the music while they still had information to get across yeah. on the promo. So Excalibur had to kind of re- reemphasize the, the ladder match aspect because you would have missed that here as they're playing the music over the, the last bit of dialogue. And that was really unfortunate because to me, like ladder matches are attractions and they should feel like a big deal from the point of announcement. And to unfortunately have the ladder aspect, first of all, kind of being thrown in there for no real reason. And secondly, to be buried with the music on top of it just kind of makes it seem so inconsequential and to me waters down, you know, what is already kind of, let's be honest, been a bit of a watered down stipulation anyway in the form of a ladder match. Secondly, like they just kind of throw this mixed tag business out there without telling us who the other part. I mean, we're assuming it's Paige, of course, but they they never said it um, and we don't know when it's happening. So there was a lot of information here that I guess (laughs) they were just let they're like, okay, Excalibur is just going to, you know, do the heavy lifting like in the in the 45 second uh ramble at the end here but um this was interesting too because we have a clear heel direction now for sammy and, and ty conti where sky page and lambert are coming out as complete baby faces to this audience opposing them yet i still get the sense that they're retaining their their heel qualities because of, of the frankie kazarian segment prior to this so they're kind of in a, an awkward phase where they have to all be heels at this point yeah, what a conundrum. Like they they've got to maintain the uh the the Dan Lambert misogyny but in a babyface yeah. light. So that's that's quite the balancing act for for them. But uh this <laughs> audience was all on board for it. Mm-hmm. The House of Black do a promo. We've got Brody King and Buddy Matthews stating that they would turn your eyes black. Matthews says the house had to change the narrative. I think every every wrestling fan was wondering what that meant. And then Malachi yeah. Black says the house is owed a debt. It flew too close to the sun, so next week the sun dies. So either someone's sun or um the the actual the actual sun. They're coming for it. Going for the sun. I mean that's you fly huh. too close to the sun. There's not too many people who conclude, you know what? Sun's got to go. Yeah, the you know these. Uh, I have no been, idea. I have this no has idea. been a, my opinion since the Alistair Black dark room days. Like they sound really cool, but I never leave thinking much about any of this. Um. That said, like looking cool, I think is half the battle. So by the time they they finally come out for their matches, they always get the crowd. I prefer seeing these guys in the ring. And, you know, I think the crowd will still be excited when that happens. Danielle Camella comes out and is soundly booed here, knows exactly what her role is to be here. And then out comes Dr. Britt Baker. They do the big swooping shot from the rafters as everyone's getting to their feet with, with, with the towels very much out of a, a punk uh, at Money in the Bank as he walked out. This place is just going insane for Britt Baker. They've all got their terrible towels. She's out with members of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Her parents are in the front row. I mean, they spared no expense here in Baker's uh, return home. So early on, they go to the picture-in-picture, picture and Camilla escapes out of the corner, dropping Baker on the turnbuckle, and she was just healing it up here. She grabbed one of the towels to smother Baker's face, and then there's a takedown by Baker, a forearm, sling blade, curb stomp, and then one of the Steelers passes over the glove for the lockjaw in 617, and she joins Hikaru Shida, Tony Storm, Jamie Hayter, Ruby Soho, and Red Velvet. Um, which is not going to be a uh, six-way match. Those are all individuals that are in. So less confusion than the the Kyle Samoa Joe graphic. Um, uh, before we get to, to the post-match, I mean, the match was really just about, you know, get some heat on Baker, come back, and this crowd just uh, uh, 
just got to have a license to go crazy here for Baker, and they did. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're talking about maybe a um, somebody who doesn't necessarily have a big program going on, doesn't have a championship, so you don't necessarily have to put them in a big one-on-one encounter, to just do one of these essentially squash matches in front of a hometown crowd with the fanfare of having the local sports team around them and 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 basically an entire arena cheering for that one person that to me is like some tremendous value that you're getting out of this hometown appearance and we know at this point i mean we knew this even before like even though she doesn't have the belt she's still the biggest female star in the company and uh essentially really somebody who doesn't need the championship right now you know in order to retain that value so uh, a, a great homecoming for Britt baker i thought Baker gets onto the microphone and just runs through how the women's division has been a disaster without her and insults others, the others that have qualified for the tournament, calling Ruby a redheaded little rascal. Uh, Tony Storm has her friend Jamie Hayter in the first round and makes fun of Tony for the cake angle with Charlotte Flair on SmackDown, stating that after Jamie Hayter, you're going to want to leave this company too. Uh, mentions how Jade Cargill called everyone in Pittsburgh ugly and said that the only people that want to see Jade here are the ones she gave out free tickets to. I'm the baddest bitch on the block and your future Owen Cup winner. I forgot that cake stuff. With Everyone did. Tony yes. Storm. Was that this year? Uh, it was last year. She was last year, okay. She, she left uh, yeah, late late last year, I believe. I guess I, I I need to know if I need to include it in my worst of picks. Yeah, we'll we'll double check the date there. Serena Deeb is shown training, and all, this all started in Philadelphia with Hikaru Shida, and it's going to end with a Philadelphia street fight next week. So, way there you go. You're getting your ending to this. Is fight. it really going to end, though? I'll believe it when I see it. Well, it's, I think it's yeah. a best of 10. <laughs> we, they can just keep going. Maybe they'll have a, a 30-match series as their nod to uh, Tai Chi. All right, coming up this Friday on Rampage, we've got Adam Cole against Tomohiro Ishii. Keith Lee and Swerve are going to be inter- – he had to plug interviews. <laughs> interviews. Like like anyone's listening to – you know, Cole Ishii, yeah, Eddie Kingston, Daniel Garcia. But wait a minute. There's going to be an interview with Britt Baker? Uh, now I'm sold. I mean, this poor guy, he had to have laryngitis by the end of this. Uh, no, so- you make a great point because like at some point – like, I don't, don't I don't need to know everything that's happening on Rampage yeah. down to segment by segment. Oh, there's yeah. there's gonna be a there's gonna be a backstage arrival in a limo when uh, MJF arrives and we're gonna do a, a pre-tape. I understand the desire to like wanna put like your biggest names uh, attached to Rampage, but more often than not, these aren't more than like 30 second speaking clips that we get. Clips is essentially what we get on Rampage with the CM Punk or Brian Danielson or something. And that to me more disappoints than, you know, attracts. So you're right. Like Excalibur at least doesn't need to be mentioning everything. Uh, Lance Archer against Serpentico, Eddie Kingston against Daniel Garcia, Jade Cargill and Marina Shafir for the TBS title. And then Shivani will also interview Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter and, and Tony Storm. You got all that? Now we move on to Dynamite next week. <laughs> Serena Deeb and Sheeta in the street fight. Wardlow against Lance Archer. Dax Harwood against Cash Wheeler in the Owen Hart Cup qualifying match. That should yeah. open the show. That should be in the CM Punk opening match role. That match. But maybe they'll put it in later. We'll see. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it's a, an attractive enough match for like a Big Bang Theory crowd. Um, it certainly is if you're a fan of yeah. FTR. That's that's true. Will the Big Bang Theory crowd be in? It'd be interested. And then uh, Guevara and Sky in the ladder match. And then uh, the Undisputed Elite will take on Dante Martin, Brock Anderson, Lee Johnson, and the Varsity Blondes in our 10-man tag 
or Excalibur was all I could think about because th- this one to me was like the ultimate. Like if you ever want to uh, show somebody the most craziest plugs that Excalibur has to do, this is the show to to have to show. He he went through three, six, nine, eleven things he had to plug here between these two shows. It's a lot of names. Yeah. And then he had to plug the coffin match coming up next. So that is what closed the show. Andrade El Idolo and Darby Allen. Uh, Darby is using the skateboard at first, but the Blade and Mark Quinn are in the corner and they get involved. They go into the crowd and there is a fan with a sign wearing a Sting mask and it is Sting underneath his own mask and attacks <laughs> Quinn. A uh, moment right out of TNA with uh, Sting behind the mask. Oh, did they do this in TNA? Oh, yeah, they did this. Oh, this man. was a very f- funny meme, actually. I just saw it the, the other day, too. <laughs> oh, sting unmasking is his sting. So the, it was kind of funny, I thought. And oh, uh, there, there's Sting in his, like, <laughs> in his, like, sweatshirt and Nikes <laughs> attacking <laughs> Mark Quinn, and they make their way to the balcony. Now, unlike past times, this one, I knew 100% where we were going here. Quinn gets, gets shoved off, and they go up the stairs, and Sting climbs to the top of the balcony and does a crossbody onto all three three on the floor and this audience loses their mind this dude is like who would think in 2022 that the new jack tribute spots would be sting is like i've got it the 63 year olds got this on a show with um hook with Danhausen, with the new japan pro wrestling aw thing to me like the thing i'm, I'm thinking about most leaving in the show is sting diving off of the balcony man it was unbelievable and just kind of set this crowd off to to the next level that sets up our commercial break that's a hell of a setup uh we come back to the ring darby goes for a coffin drop to the floor and is caught by andrade and hit with a released german that was nuts um Mm. the coffin that they have at ringside earlier andrade went to open it and he's like injures his fingers and we later see that Darby has put tacks all underneath the door of the coffin so when they open it if you want to keep the door open you're gonna have to put your hand or your arm in thumbtacks which is what Darby had to do to prevent the door from being shut on the coffin and um they go up the stage and Drade lifts them all the way up the ramp and then drops them with a vertical and then dumps them onto a metal crate that is attached to the stage. And Andrade tries extremely unsuccessfully to rip the door off of the coffin. That did not happen. And he carries Darby on the edge of the apron. It's turned into the stunner and Darby hits crazy elbow suicida sending Andrade into the coffin he's got it won when Jose the translator comes down takes his shirt off and takes a back body drop somewhat onto the tax didn't exactly hit the mark um, and then Darby closes the door in 12:24 to win the match Sting is back to help Darby to his feet and the Hardys just come out to do the delete chant to remind everyone that hey we're here I, I was expecting a bit of a jig you know like what the dance that Jeff Hardy does. Um, they probably save that for uh, dark perhaps. Yeah. Um, tremendously entertaining match. I thought um, they've really kind of created a wonderful formula with these sort of crazy outside the ring brawls highlighted by <laughs> the hardcore icon sting himself. Uh, just, just tremendously fun. And you have Darby Allen here who's willing to just basically bounce everywhere for uh, Andrade, who looks like a monster when he's going up against the little boy uh, in Darby Allen, because he's just gotten so jacked and he wrestles a style where he's just, you know, called upon to throw Darby Allen around. It's 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 a lot of fun. And, and this match was no different. Uh, Darby getting his win back. 
Yeah, I mean, this was kind of your your Darby Allen main event special where he goes all out. You had the sting spot in there that was a highlight for for this, this crowd as well. Like uh, an entertaining, just nonstop action type of uh, main event that you have come to expect with uh, with Darby when he is put into these positions. It was it was not my match of the show. Uh, that that distinction goes to Punk and Dustin Rhodes. But um, overall, I mean, this was. This was one of those dynamites where it just felt like there was there was a lot on this show, but there was some great wrestling. I really enjoyed that six man. The Baker stuff was tremendous uh, coming home to her hometown. You had news coming out of this show like there was a lot crammed in here. You could certainly argue uh, too much, but that's kind of to be expected on the, these dynamites that um, it's, a, it's a show like and tonight, probably more than most was one where they did not want people flipping around and going to find the basketball game. It was just mm. go, go, go and keeping your attention as much as possible. Um, it was a very, very fast moving show and um, there's good and bad to that, but it's a show that there, there is no downtime. It, it, it's a show that I always struggle to try to find a bathroom break in the midst of, because they, it's just like when one match ends, you go to the back for an interview, then you come back with the next match and they don't even go to commercial after the entrances. They start the match and they start the match. They might give you maybe a few few moves here and there, and then they go to commercial. And you know what? Like the action is really good within the the body of these commercials. So that this Andrade Darby thing, like they were they were doing full out stuff during during the picture in picture. Yeah. Like there's very few clean breaks during Dynamite where there is not like a picture in picture. Right, right. And for a recapper, it is somewhat <laughs> miserable. But as somebody who's just watching the show, and if their tactic is to make sure you don't flip on the basketball game, I think it's very effective. And I'm sure there's a reason why they continue to, to produce their TV this way is because it works. Um, it's ADD style television um, for a crowd that, you know, they're very nervous about changing the channel. So we'll see how this one does in the ratings. Yeah. Yeah. They were going up. Uh, there were three games tonight uh, in the NBA playoffs. So that, that is likely to, to play a factor uh, in all wrestling, but uh, dynamite for sure. So there you go. That was uh, tonight's episode and we will go to some feedback. Yeah, we got some super chats to start us off. This one comes from Brent, who says, "Was that Excalibur or the Micro Machine Man?" Um, I don't know. There was nothing micro about uh, what he had to deliver. It was how just many? A- how many people even remember the Micro Machine Man at this point? Like that—that's an '80s commercial. I think our demographic will remember. But man, imagine like, would your child ever know the wonders of the Micro Machine Man? Uh, probably not. No, I, I don't not. think so. All right, we go to DJ Depression. Um, hope you feel better, DJ. Uh, he sends a $5 super chat who says, do you think they'll strap Punk? To me, it seems like Paige has been really cold since his title win. Mm, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, he's, to me, his matches to me have, have delivered in a big way every time out for, uh, but this is going to be the most significant program since winning the title from Omega by far. Yeah, his dance partners haven't necessarily been the biggest names on the show. I mean, they have been, they've been Lance Archer, they've been, um, uh, Adam Cole for several cycles. And, um, you know, none, none, certainly no, no one's who's, who's equaled Kenny Omega in terms of importance. You're not getting that until now with CM Punk. So to me, this is a big test of, of Adam Page. And the idea, I think, is to, you know, through time, um, eventually bring Page up to that level. So it's, it's going to be tough to expect, like, in one, championship reign that he's going to feel like a star on the level of punk and like you said john there are a lot of good arguments to put the belt on cm punk and it's something i can see them doing by the time double or nothing comes around but i wouldn't completely rule out like you know punk being the type of person to say hey like this makes no sense 
I shouldn't be taking the belt off of this guy. You can make the argument Punk doesn't need a championship, if you, especially if you want him to be a leadoff guy on on Dynamites. You know, um, you're kind of you can have championship matches like at the start, but we also I think the champion also doesn't wrestle as often once they have the world championship belt. So do you know? Do they want to change that up? I don't know. There are a lot of questions, but it's 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 a tougher match to predict. I'll say. I look at it like this way. Like there is the argument that, hey, we're still building Hangman and a big win over CM Punk. That's that's further build, building his stock up. At the same time, Hangman Page is 30. This guy is, you know, injuries aside, should be around for a long time. And mm. with Punk, it's this guy's not going to be around forever. And I would say that if I'm looking at this guy is performing at arguably the highest level right now. He is just churning out excellent match after excellent match. He has been a great great fit in this company and the other one is that when you look at all out every single year they have beat the last year's pay-per-view number and all out is going to be exceptionally tough to top last year's when it was punk's first match back uh to me punk defending that title against a kenny omega or something of that level it's punk in that equation that i think is going to be your chance to be able to um to to beat that number from the, the prior year and Punk having the title, like now is the time. If you are ever going to put the title on him, it's now. It's not going to be two years from now. So that's that's what you're weighing. You can make arguments either way, but I can I can see a pretty compelling one of of going with Punk because he represents to me some of the biggest matches you can do uh, come that next pay per view. We've also got this New Japan show now that you know is is going to have probably a featured spot for a champion, not necessarily a title defense. We're saying, but. Whoever has your belt of either company, I think, is going to, you know, um, be put in a pretty prime spot. So do they want CM Punk to be that representative? Yeah. So there we have it. All right. Let's go to your feedback at forum.postwrestling.com. This is, of course, a privilege we give to all of our patrons who sign up and support the channel at postwrestlingcafe.com. So we start off here with Benjamin. I'll start us off, John, who says, okay, but... Why Chicago again? <laughs> I'm glad that they have a good working relationship between New Japan and AEW, but what is this going to do for all of the talent currently struggling to get any TV time, like Sunny Kiss or all of the women's division? Um, I, I don't see how this show is taking away from that. I mean, well, this is... Yeah, you have arguments to be made about like them not having, but but the priority of Tony Khan and the priority of AEW is not to make sure every single person gets TV time. It's to make sure that the company is making as much money as it can, and that as many people are watching your product as possible. And if, you, if that means sacrificing, you know, um, undercard time so that you could feature Kazuchika Okada. Ultimately, you would think that everybody would benefit if the company was doing well. Yeah, like I, that's like that. That's what this is. Like this is, you know, that's what a promotion is is going to be doing. And yeah, it's it's not going to mean every person is going to be divided and getting the, the same amount of television time. And yeah, there will be TV time dedicated to promoting this show. Um, this is also building to a, a fifth pay per view that should mean that much more revenue for for both sides uh, essentially coming out of it uh we have next up from patrick jealous of anyone in the chicago area with all of the loaded AEW shows they get and while the name is very on the nose forbidden door could be an extremely fun show it'll be curious to see if it's mainly tag matches like Noah in new japan earlier this year or if they do some big singles matches i would say running a building of this size y- you cannot headline that with with just multi-man tags and and 
quite frankly, the novelty of that, of just AEW and New Japan talent being in the same ring together, it's you've got to have at least minimum one big kind of, you know, your, your Danielson Okada, your Omega Okada, something of that level to, to carry this as a pay-per-view on top of it. So I, I think that um, you, you need to have that. As for Dynamite, I thought it was a fun show, though the pacing did feel off tonight, especially with Kyle O'Reilly and Jungle Boy, the Rush tie and Sammy ATT promo, and even the main event to a degree. For what it's worth, the women's division feels feels like it has a lot going on right now, with Baker making a big return, the Owen Hart Cup starting, Jade Cargill against Marina Shafir, Jade now having Velvet and Kira Hogan with her, Sheeta and Deeb in a Philadelphia street fight, and the active building of Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm, and Paige Van Zandt versus, versus Ty Conti down the, down the line. Definitely feels like a lot of progress is being made on that front. And if you could put Punk against anyone from New Japan at Forbidden Door, who would it be? Well, somebody that Punk has already teased on social media from weeks back at this point is uh, Kazuchika Okada. Um, so, I mean, that is the dream match. But hey, like if if we have a potentially CM Punk as world champion with Kazuchika Okada as IWGP champion, I don't see them doing the singles match. Um, just because that's almost too big for a first show, meaning like I, you're guaranteed a bullshit finish. I could see the two of them in a tag team scenario on on both sides, perhaps. Um, and maybe yeah, but by match. that point, like that could very well be you have both both are champions of their respective mm-hmm. promotions. So that's and at, at the very least, I expect Okada to be champion at that point. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Um, but if to me, like, if one of them didn't have the championship, it makes the likelihood of a singles match that that much more uh, possible. But if they were both champion, I I just don't know as as well as the, as these two companies are working together. I just I can't see a satisfying result coming out of that singles match. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's all stuff that you have to uh, to figure in as well. Like these these shows are. You know, even when, you know, you have two companies on the same page, like it's, it's still tricky when you're, you're putting these shows together and what the, the vision is for one versus what's the vision for the other. You can map this all out. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do have like high hopes of this card being one that is going to be satisfying just because of the scope of this, not just on pay per view, but the tickets that you have to sell for this and that understanding. Like you are not booking a United Center if you know that you cannot put a match that is, going to fill that kind of a, of a venue or run something smaller. There's certainly many options in that area. Man, a match I would love to see right now. Um, I know like people might want to see like, you know, Danielson, like a singles capacity, but I personally, I wouldn't lo- I wouldn't mind seeing at all like a black, Blackpool combat club versus Suzuki going with like Techers and Suzuki on the other side. Like, or, or you could get the United awesome. empire now because you've already Ooh. kind of started that with Moxley and Osprey. Like that's, that's ready-made that you could do wow. whether, whether it's a six man or, or a tag match. That's, that's certainly an option. I, I, I could actually very well see that like Osprey in with like picture, like an Osprey and Jeff Cobb against Moxley and Danielson, or you throw in like uh Hanare and Yuta on either side. Yeah. I'm just like, we're, we're, I'm just fantasy booking at this point, but like, man, I'm just throwing names out there. We, we haven't really seen Hiromu Takahashi involved in too much of this Forbidden Door stuff. And, um, like, I'm just trying to picture personality matching in him versus, uh, Darby Allen, I think would be crazy. You know, those two just doing vignettes together. Maybe, maybe Darby Allen could sleep, um, in Korakuen Hall for 28 <laughs> hours. Dan Housen and Taguchi. 
Dan House and Taguchi would be fascinating too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyway. All right. Uh, we're having too much fun. Fantasy booking. We got a Jay from Colorado who says, okay, I changed my mind. Now that they are leaning into the heel stuff, I like Sammy and Ty together. It just works better as a heel act. I'm willing to give them time to evolve it. Also, Dan Lambert is fantastic, and every time he talks, an angel gets its wings. Hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Sammy and Ty. Okay, so another interesting thing while we're on the New Japan subject. Um, do we see women on this show? Um. You have it, to, right? If it's AEW and if it's a pay per view, I feel, and and, and well, Japan- you, I mean, I mean, you have the the ability. I mean, it's it's very much promoted as New Japan versus AEW. Like you mm-hmm. could incorporate if you wanted, like of um, like I, I don't like it would have to be like stardom, and I really don't see stardom being inserted into any of this. It would. But it would why not? Wouldn't that be amazing? You could do your own thing down the road with stardom. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Anyway, um. We'll we'll probably chat more about this tomorrow. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up Rewinded Dynamite. Thanks to all of you that uh, joined us live tonight. Uh, you can always uh, catch us here at youtube.com slash post wrestling. Subscribe to the channel. Give it a thumbs up. That just does wonders. The algorithm just um, gets spiked and they're like, holy Christ, what's going on at post wrestling? Let's spin this thing around. Every time somebody hits thumbs up on a YouTube video, an angel will get its wings. That's right. Way gets his wings and he just, he just flies. It takes him, the momentum carries him to the next day. So anyway, do all of that great stuff. We're back on Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time with the post daily news show. And then check out the wellness policy at 3 p.m. Eastern time. The man is jumping right back into it with, uh, three shows tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm making up for lost time trying to catch up to you. Oh boy. Kidding Uh, me. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm down to one. One's my max. So that is it, everybody. Uh, we will chat with you on Thursday. Good night. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.